0: Close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 80 and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? Oh, I'm good. Good. <laughs> Thanks for throwing it back to me and you, keeping this thing flowing. You're oh Yes. Oh. I'm also good. Oh, Thank are you. you? I am. I'm pleased to hear that. Yes. I'm excited because this is being released on St. Patrick's Day. Yay! Yes. And in fact, uh, because of this, one, we have stories from Ireland. We're Perfect. finally presenting our our haunting of Ireland episode, and that is a haunted place. It really, truly yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the few episodes in recent memory where we've really had to whittle down stories. Like wow. we had so much stuff, we probably could have done two.
1: That's amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, this was really Anthony's baby, and he found a lot of stuff, uh, but. Before we get there, you sort of had your own luck of the Irish. I did. It was like winning the the food sweepstakes. Yeah. Before we came to the studio. Yes. And what we do is every recording, we always order takeout. Yes. And that our lovely patrons pay for. It's the only benefit I get. True. It is actually, (laughs) because they're helping pay my bills right now, because my job is garbage. But, um. You can hear more about that on the cabin fever episode. Which we have just recorded. For patrons. Yes. Once a month, patreon.com slash ghost story guys. But anyways, so the patrons pay for, lovely, lovely patrons pay for a meal, and when Ian's came,
1: it was, well, I'll let you describe it. Sure. Well, I decided to go old school comfort food, so I ordered a restaurant that's famous here in Canada for mostly serving seniors, Swiss chalet. I ordered a humble quarter chicken dinner with some ribs, and, um, you know, I'm doing keto, so I made sure there were no starches, and uh, that was all I ordered. So the takeout driver appeared and he handed me two very large bags. And I came in to uh, where Brennan was and said, um, I think there's something wrong. And he never came back. He didn't. Despite the fact that you unwrapped your meal and there was enough there to feed a military regiment. There were two meals, plus an order of wings, plus an order of vegetables, plus an extra side potatoes and gravy and the buns. And and two Pepsis that I did not order, nor could I drink. Somewhere tonight in Victoria, there is a very hungry family.
0: Yes. That are waiting because you're gluttonous ass. All they got was
1: a sad little chicken and rib dinner. <laughs> well, I feasted like a king. You really did. I Although, was... once I cut out all the starches. It was pretty diminished. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah, that's true. Back in my place, there's still a giant stack of uh, shit even I can't eat. Yeah, bread, so, potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so it, w- tonight's episode is Irish in nature, and we have been subsequently blessed. We have. Which is great, because I wanted to focus uh, not on the drinking parts of Ireland, because I, I feel like that is pretty much all anyone talks about. Ken kind of overdone. And I really, truly love Ireland. I've been yeah. there f- about three or four times. And it would not nearly enough. I haven't been in about 12 years, but I loved it there. I would love to go back. And I just don't want to focus on all this Blarney Stone, Leprechaun, and drinking bullshit. I I love the idea of getting into the meat of the place with some really scary stories that are specific there. Stories that could only have come from Ireland. And I think that's what we've got.
1: Well, and I think the Irish people thank you for that because I'm sure they get tired of all the blarney stones 40 clovers and leprechauns too oh christ i'm sure yeah i I can't imagine although
0: they have the best i don't give a shit about you attitude that i've ever seen of any place i've been a tourist true they will literally tell you to your face how little they think of you (laughs) but they do it in such a quick way that you're not entirely sure if they're serious right spoiler alert dear listener they are
1: (laughs) they truly don't care
0: We're going to get to the stories in a quick second, but I want to say, make sure to stick around for the C segment where we usually do our patron shoutouts and listener mail, because we will absolutely have those, but we will also have a very special treat. One of our listeners has written a jingle for the ghost line. And of course the ghost line is the number you can call to leave a voicemail for us with your, your ghost story, or you can text it as well. And some people have started texting us. That's pretty sweet. So make sure to listen all the way to the end to hear the new ghost line jingle, but that's all in the future. First up, we have some scary stories from the past. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we'll be telling stories from Ireland. And this one's been, this one's been percolating for a little while. The guys have been looking through a lot of different resources, including print sources, and some of the stories we have today are from, uh, adapted from books. Some of them actually taken directly from books that are out of copyright. And the reason we've done that is because the stories are so well, basically they're correspondence written to the authors of the book. The one book in question, true Irish ghost stories was written in 1914. And there's a quality to the language that we just don't have anymore. And so I thought, well, why not just take the story directly and tell it in their words? So uh, before we get started, though, do you have you have you been to Ireland? Um, no, been to Scotland, been to Wales, never been to Ireland. Interesting. I've never been to Scotland. Okay, but as I mentioned before, I I really really love Ireland, and one of the things I love about it again is the Irish will just tell you they think you're stupid. Right. And I think one of my favorite moments was when we were touring the Jameson distillery, and. The guide had been leading us through all the rooms, but for this one room, he didn't lead us. He just, said, he just said, okay, well, we'll talk about that in the next room. Right. But everyone just sort of milled around the door until he walked up to it and opened it for them. It wasn't locked. He just had to turn the knob. Right. And I heard him say, the door has flummoxed them all. <laughs> and he, he turned the knob, pushed it open and went, I've solved it. <laughs> and walked through. And I thought, he just called us all stupid. And yeah. we just stood there and took it. Like sheep. Like stupid sheep. Like sheep. Yeah. So no, I, I have a lot of respect for the yes. Irish. And something I really appreciate about the stories we have tonight are they are so very
1: Irish perfect
0: there was one episode we had planned that was a New York City episode and that was originally going to take place uh last week or last show right but what we found is that all the stories we pulled a lot of them are just kind of soft you know they were just stories they didn't really feel like they had a New York flavor right they could have been anywhere yeah and so we've we've tabled that episode for now until we can find you know maybe expand the scope to New York State or perhaps we have some listeners who live in New York who you know send them in or that, yes. Yeah. Speaking of which, I actually had some messages from a listener who does the ghost tour in Greenwich Village. Oh, very cool! Yeah, and she was telling me a little bit about some uh, known, famous haunted places in in Greenwich Village. So, right. shout out to Katie! Thank you for all for the for helping out because that cool. was that was really handy. All right, let's get to it. On to the stories.
1: Our first story is called After the Funeral. All my life, I've had what you might call a preoccupation with death. Not that labored, wrapped myself in black vestments and swan around like a vampire nonsense, but a truly bone-deep sense of connection to those who have passed or are in the process of going. Until my mid-teens, one of the ways this manifested was by my attending the funerals of strangers. Always at a respectful distance, of course, but attending nonetheless. If I had to guess at my deeper motivations, I think funerals were a place where life undeniably was happening, day to day. Rolling around my small hometown on a bike, you might forget how close to a sudden end any of us are, but to attend a funeral was to come face to face with tumult, pain, and change. When I was a teenager, my family moved to Dublin for my dad's work, and in time I found myself back in the funeral habit. One summer day, I rolled up on Glasnevin Cemetery, the oldest and largest in Ireland, and headed in. This wasn't my first funeral in Dublin, but it was my first at Glasnevin, so after all was said and done, I toured the place, taking stock of all the crypts and whatnot. When the trouble began, I didn't quite understand what was going on. This golden summer day began to feel still and troubled, though it used to back in the country when a storm was on the way. The vague feeling of trouble began to coalesce into the sensation of being watched, and that's when I noticed shadows flitting back and forth between the tombstones. I say flitting because they moved quickly, but I don't take it to mean they were small. These looked like people, but moved almost faster than my ability to keep track of them. My survival instinct roared to life and I grabbed my bicycle, about to head for the hills, but one of the tires had been punctured. Not caring one whit, I hopped on and peddled like a man possessed, stopping only when the tires became so porous as to be useless. Then I grabbed the bike like it was a wounded comrade and carried it as I made my final dash for the exit. My breath was ragged, burning in my lungs, but I kept that pace up until I passed the gates of Glasnevin. The things turned back then, some of them seeming to sink into the earth itself. My legs were useless at this point, so I celebrated this victory by collapsing in a heap. The shadows were gone, as was my enthusiasm for exploring Glasnevin Cemetery. I continued to attend funerals there until the habit left me a year or two later, but never again wandered off on my own. I'd say, and that's why you never hang out in graveyards,
0: but <laughs> we're actually going to have stories coming up which are even worse and even better evidence for why you shouldn't do that.
1: Well. I have done that. I, really? Yeah. I actually find cemeteries to be quite peaceful places to spend time in. I I think they definitely put your little problems in perspective. Fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can see that. Yeah. But um, there are times when I've thought, oh, time to go. <laughs> it's definitely time to go. <laughs> right. So you feel things <laughs> shifting? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. There is a definite energy shift. But I think as long as you're respectful and you're there not gawking, I don't think On the whole, I mean, it does depend on the cemetery 100%. Right. um, But on the whole, most cemeteries are places of sort of acceptance of you being there. But yeah, you, you definitely have to watch your motivations. This
0: is a listener story from Lauren. This story took place last year in Dublin when Lauren and a friend were on vacation. During part of their stay in Dublin, they rented an apartment above the Brazen Head Inn. The Brazen Head is the oldest pub in Dublin, having first opened as a hostelry in 1198. The current building dates back to 1754 when it was built as a coaching inn, and it's considered by those with an interest in the subject to be the most haunted pub in Dublin. Maybe all of Ireland. It's there that Republican Robert Emmett and his United Irishmen planned the revolution, the brazen head being near not only to the seat of government, but the key in churches, making it ideal for catching stray gossip. Emmett's preferred room also looked out on the entrance, allowing him to keep an eye out for approaching enemies. In 1803, Emmett was hanged and beheaded over on nearby Thomas Street. And since then, it's said his spirit haunts the pub and nearby buildings. Lauren and her friend didn't know any of this history when they booked their apartment, but they'd encountered something paranormal all the same. It started, she says, as soon as they entered the apartment. There was an uncomfortable feeling she couldn't quite explain. When she fell asleep on the first night, she felt the hairs on her arm rise, as if in the presence of static electricity, followed by the sensation of something like spiderwebs settling across her face. Not long after, the foot of the bed began to violently shake and she ran out of her room to stay with her friend on the sofa bed. In the morning, Lauren's friend asked why she hadn't stayed in her own room, but she waved it off. Better, she thought, for only one of us to be frightened. In the days to come, her friend approached her with an admission. Her bed in the living room would shake, but she had no idea why. It was then Lauren shared her own story. The shaking would happen at different times and were felt only by the people on the bed, They checked online for earthquakes in the area and came up empty. It was the same with their neighbors. No one else in the building they spoke to had experienced anything like it. Whatever was causing the shaking, it was in the apartment with them. And again, that was a listener story from Lauren. And Lauren is actually a waitress in a a, a local food establishment I frequent on a fairly regular basis. Uh, But I won't say which. Because you don't want people tracking you down like a dog? Yeah, now you're more, well, <laughs> I just don't want anyone, you know, I don't want to embarrass her by associating her with this, this shit show you and I have going on. <laughs> now, is she from Ireland or she was visiting Ireland? She was on vacation in Ireland. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a great time. And and funny enough, she knew about the show because of my t-shirt. Oh, okay. Because I have about a thousand Ghost story Guys t-shirts. Yes, you do. And she started listening uh, just sort of on her own and then admitted to me one day, I've listened to about 20 shows so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I don't know if she's still listening or if she's caught up, but she told me this about, I want to say December last year, she told me the story. Wow. And does she spit in your food now she knows who you are? I would assume so.
1: Yeah. Um, I, mean, I would too.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just, you I take it as a given. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. Lauren, Lauren's great. And, and if, if you are listening, Lauren, thank you so much for the story. But um, funny enough, that reminds me of a story. And I can't, it's from our show, but I can't remember when. It was about people sleeping in a converted school bus. In the Arizona desert. It was like oh. some kind of themed hotel. Yeah. And they had this something similar. I feel like there was shaking. There was the spider web strands. Right. And I've always wondered what the hell that is. Well, the shaking bed thing I've heard a lot of. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I've even woken up and had that myself. Oh, wow. Um, I, I thought I was having a seizure, to be honest. But I woke up, because I woke up and the bed was shaking. I, I thought maybe it's me. Yeah. But I wasn't,
1: I didn't think I was moving. No. uh, Never any explanation for it. What have you heard? Oh, just frequent. That seems to be the way ghosts enjoy getting our attention. <laughs> By shaking the bed. By shaking the bed. You could <laughs> just send me a text. Uh, exactly. Write or, me a nice letter. That's right, yeah. yeah. Maybe bring me coffee in the morning, something along dear, those lines. Dear Bozo, I'm in your house. <laughs> wear a <not>, robe. <laughs> yeah, please. Please wear a robe.
0: <laughs> and stop farting. <laughs> I may be dead. I can still smell. (laughs) And so can the guy sleeping outside your window. So be nice. (laughs) So again, thank you so much for that story, Lauren.
1: Mm -hmm. In the dark corners. The house where my family spent most of my formative years was so average. It would be comical if it wasn't, again, so average. We were only the second owners of this little piece of Irish suburbia. And so far as I know, the previous residents hadn't experienced anything in the home, apart from the kind of ennui common to people who commute to work in the morning and quietly resent each other at night. Despite its thorough mediocrity, there was something about the house that upset me, and that was being left alone in the sitting room. I tried not to make a show of it, but there was something very wrong with the room's far right corner. At first I couldn't explain it. All I knew was that I didn't care to look at the very bottom of that corner It was almost like it hurt my eyes. Things escalated from there, to the point where I would be drawn into a sort of trance as the room grew darker but a sort of strobe light flashed from the corner blinding me. That's when I would see the little people who lived in the corner. Their fingers were long and sharp, and their bodies visible but so incredibly thin it was difficult to see where they ended and the shadows began. You could smell them, too. A cruel metallic taste that wouldn't leave your mouth. It pervaded everything in the air. Otter still was what else I could see in the corner. Behind them, an innumerable amount of perfect white cubes strewn everywhere. God help me even now, I understand the cubes even less than I do the shadows. And those shadows? They didn't like kids one bit. On the occasions when they became aware of me watching them, they would scratch at my arms. It was painful every time. But once I snapped out of the fugue state or trance or whatever, there would be no physical indication I'd been injured in any way. My parents would never see, hear, or smell these things, and eventually, neither could I. There was no singular event, nothing obvious changed, but one day I no longer saw the people in the corner, and that blissful ignorance has continued into my adulthood. May it always stay that way.
0: All right, so I was going to leave that story until the end of the show, uh, but... I wanted to get to it so bad because <laughs> I actually have some connections to this. Oh, what are they? So the first thing, and you may have experienced this, when it comes to visible haunting—or not visible haunting, but felt haunting—I sometimes have the experience that I can't look directly at it. Hmm. And like it, it, and it's the same thing. It almost hurts to look. Interesting. Not actually hurts, but it's unpleasant somehow to behold the thing. Right. And I distinctly remember being in Lind, Washington. And there was a house that was abandoned, and I could not look directly at it. Right. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine who was there, and they said, oh, sure, yeah, I I definitely sensed something happening there. But they didn't have the same experience where they couldn't look at it. No. Uh, So there's that. But it's the cubes. Now, listeners who've been with us for a while, you'll remember that back in 2017, I believe, I volunteered for a hypnosis thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was like a past life regression. Mm-hmm. So, and if you listen to episode nine, um, God damn the shadow man, there is a clip in there from my session where I talk about my experience with the shadow people. Yeah. Another part of the session, and I've never really talked about this cause it just wasn't relevant to anything. I talked about a, what, you know, a past life and I go back and forth on past life regression. And, and I kind of feel like this particular hypnotist was leading me right but the part that really really jumped out at me was after i died i ended up in a place made of rotating cubes oh yes bright white yeah. rotating cubes right and it was almost like this is somehow it was it was really hard to comprehend yeah but it was somehow like building blocks of the world building right. blocks of reality Right, it, it was almost like a hallucinogenic experience yeah and so, to see those turn up here was actually kind of like a gut punch. Yeah. Because I always thought, oh, this is just something I cooked up. Yeah. But then to see it here, no, like this is shared at least.
1: Yeah. There's something to it.
0: Yeah. So, the yeah. question is why? You know, hmm. what What the hell does it mean? Uh, and it, it also reminds me about one of the favorite stories people have talked about on our show is the the stories about the little toy people in the closet. Right. Remember that one? Yep. And this is
1: just the same. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I, I – Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating, all these sort of parallels. Yeah, it's cool. I think that's one of my favorite parts about doing this show is that we start getting these stories and the common threads that appear. Yeah. Oh, amazing. The Visitor. This next
0: story is taken from the book True Irish Ghost Stories, originally published by St. John D. Seymour and Harry Nelligan in 1914. Since that book has passed into the public domain, we can read the stories that originally appeared, which as I mentioned before, we think is better because the language is so very much a part of it. This story was sent to the authors as the personal experience of the Archdeacon of Limerick, Reverend J. A. Hayden. In the year 1879, there lived in the picturesque village of Adair, at a distance of about eight or nine miles from my residence, a district inspector named Blank, with whom I enjoyed a friendship of the most intimate and fraternal kind. At the time I write of, Mrs. Blank was expecting the arrival of their third child, She was a particularly tiny and fragile woman and much anxiety was felt as to the result of the impending event. He and she had very frequently spent pleasant days at my house with all the apartments of which they were thoroughly acquainted, a fact of importance in this narrative. On Wednesday, October 17th, 1879, I had a very jubilant letter from my friend announcing that the expected event had successfully happened on the previous day and that all was progressing satisfactorily. On the night of the following Wednesday, October 22nd, I retired to bed at about 10 o'clock. My wife, the children, and two maidservants were all sleeping upstairs, and I had a small bed in my study which was on the ground floor. The house was shrouded in darkness, and the only sound that broke the silence was the ticking of the hall clock. I was quietly preparing to go to sleep when I was much surprised at hearing, with a most unquestionable distinctness, the sound of light, hurried footsteps exactly suggestive of those of an active, restless young female coming in from the hall door and traversing the hall. They then, apparently with some hesitation, followed the passage leading to the study door, on arriving at which they stopped. I then heard the sound of a light, agitated hand apparently searching for the handle of the door. By this time, being quite sure that my wife had come down and wanted to speak to me, I sat up in bed and called to her by name, asking what was the matter. As there was no reply and the sounds had ceased, I struck a match, I lighted a candle, and opened the door. No one was visible or audible. I went upstairs found all the doors shut, and everyone asleep. Greatly puzzled, I returned to the study and went to bed, leaving the candle alight. Immediately the whole performance was circumstantially repeated, but this time the handle of the door was grasped by the invisible hand and partly turned, then relinquished. I started out of bed and renewed my previous search with equally futile results. The clock struck eleven, and from that time all disturbances ceased. On Friday morning, I received a letter stating that Mrs. Blank had died at about midnight on the previous Wednesday. I hastened off to Adair and had an interview with my bereaved friend. With one item of our conversation, I will close. He told me that his wife sank rapidly on Wednesday, until when night came on, she became delirious. She spoke incoherently, as if revisiting scenes and places once familiar. She thought she was in your house, he said, and was apparently holding a conversation with you, as she used to keep silence at intervals as if listening to your replies. I asked him if he could possibly remember the hour at which the imaginary conversation took place. He replied that, curiously enough, he could tell it accurately as he had looked at his watch and found the time between half past ten and eleven o'clock, the exact time of the mysterious manifestations heard by me. Well, there you go. And that is so, I don't want to say common, because I think that's maybe overstating the case, but... I have heard of cases like this. Well, that's what happened with my dad. Of course. Yeah. We talked about that on last episode.
1: Yeah. So this is the exact same thing where the person at the other end was able to verify when it had happened and what was going on. Yeah. And there was another example, which I didn't, I didn't mention when we talked about
0: your dad coming to visit your son before he passed. It was a friend of mine, uh, several years ago, lost her husband and they're, they're an older couple and they had a dog named Teddy. Right. Teddy was his dog. The husband had been in hospital for, I think, several days, up to a week before finally passing. Right. And towards the end, he was passing in and out of consciousness. He was delirious, a lot of it. Yeah. Well, one day, his wife, my friend, took Teddy to, I want to say, to the groomers or something, left him there, and then went to go see her husband at the hospital. Right. And for the first, I don't know, say half hour of her visit, he was out of it. Right. And then he came to, and he was lucid again. And he looked at her and said, where's Teddy? And she said, well, he's not here. I can't bring him to the hospital. He said, no, he's not at the house. Yeah. And she said, what the hell are you talking about? He said, I was just there. Teddy's not at the house. Where's Teddy? And she told him, well, he's at the groomer. You know, everything's fine. And he
1: went, oh, okay. And he kind of drifted out again. Wow. Yeah, right? Well, I think when you get to that point between life and death, your, your, your tethering to your body can loosen up. Yeah. I mean that's my only theory. I don't know, of course. Well, th- but
0: there seems to be this this sort of fascinating I don't know how what you'd call it, but like a a commingling of both we'll say astral travel maybe? Right. And your your delirious physical mind processing information in incorrect ways. Right. Because in yeah. this in the story, she believes she had a chat with this man. Yeah. But he he didn't. Right. He, he didn't actually speak to her. He no. just heard the footsteps. Yeah. And I remember back when I used to listen to Mysterious Universe, uh, which I just kind of lost touch with. It's still a great show. But they had a guy who had a dream journal. And one of his dreams, he had gone over to visit his girlfriend. But when he got to her house in, in sort of the astral, what he felt was like his astral dreaming travel body. Right. The house was surrounded by vampires. Oh, wow. And he somehow knew they were vampires. And so he went home or went back to his body and when he spoke to his girlfriend the next morning, he said, so what'd you get up to last night? And she said, oh, I just watched a movie about vampires. Interesting. So there's this, again, this, this weird meld of, of actual something happening with thought. I, I can like fantasy and reality in a way. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating stuff. And especially coming from someone who theoretically is reasonably reliable. It's a clergy. Yeah. I mean, I say that as Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I get it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so. That's cool. It's a great story. This story comes from the same book as our last story. It's called It Comes at Night. A correspondent from County Wexford who desires to have his name suppressed writes as follows. Less than 10 miles from the town of County Wexford lives a small farmer named M who, by dint of thrift and industry, has reared a large family decently and comfortably. Some twenty years ago, Mr. M., through the death of a relative, fell in for a legacy of about a hundred pounds. As he was already in rather prosperous circumstances, and as his old thatched dwelling house was not large enough to accommodate his increasing family, he resolved to spend the money in building a new one. Not long afterwards, building operations commenced, and in about a year he had a fine slated cottage or small farmhouse, erected and ready for occupation. So far, very well, but it is little our friend M. anticipated the troubles which were still ahead of him. He purchased some new furniture at the nearest town, and on a certain day he removed all the furniture which the old house contained into the new one, and in the evening the family found themselves installed in the latter for good as they thought. They all retired to their rest at their usual hour, scarcely were they snugly settled in bed when they heard peculiar noises inside the house. As time passed, the din became terrible; there was shuffling of feet, slamming of doors, pulling about of furniture, and so forth. The man of the house got up to explore, but could see nothing, neither was anything disturbed. The door was securely locked as he would left it, and a thorough investigation, in which his wife assisted, he had to own he could find no clue. TO THE CAUSE OF THE DISTURBANCE. THE COUPLE WENT TO BED AGAIN, AND ALMOST IMMEDIATELY THE RACKET RECOMMENCED, AND CONTINUED MORE OR LESS UNTIL DAWN. THE INMATES WERE PUZZLED AND frightened, BUT DETERMINED TO TRY WHETHER THE NOISE WOULD BE REPEATED THE NEXT NIGHT BEFORE TELLING THEIR NEIGHBORS WHAT HAD HAPPENED. BUT THE pandemonium EXPERIENCED THE FIRST NIGHT OF THEIR OCCUPATION WAS NOTHING COMPARED WITH WHAT THEY HAD TO ENDURE THE SECOND NIGHT, AND FOR SEVERAL SUCCEEDING NIGHTS. SLEEP WAS IMPOSSIBLE. And finally, Mr. M. and family, in terror, abandoned their new home and retook possession of their old one. That is the state of things to this day. The old house has been repaired and is tenanted. The new house, a few perches off, facing the public road, is used as a storehouse. The writer has seen it scores of times, and the story is well known all over the countryside. Mr. M. is disinclined to discuss the matter or to answer questions, but it is said he made several subsequent attempts to occupy the house— but always failed to stand his ground when night came with its usual rowdy disturbances. It is said that when building operations were about to begin, a little man of bizarre appearance accosted Mr. M, and exhorted him to build on a different site. Otherwise, the consequences would be unpleasant for him and his. While the local peasantry allege that the house was built across a ferry pathway between two rafts, and that this was the cause of the trouble. It is quite true that there are two large rafts in the vicinity, and the haunted house is directly in a beeline between them. For myself, I offer no explanation, but I guarantee the substantial accuracy of what I have stated above. So just as background,
0: a wrath is like a ring fort. Yes. Sort of a, a, a circular earthwork. For fairies. Which is, yeah, they're they're said to be the homes of of, of the fae. Yeah. And it's funny, we were just talking about this um, before the show, how we, I had actually said we will never do another show about the Fae after we did episode 27 in the land of the fairies, the digression is king.
1: It was brutal. It
0: was a brutal episode to record. We had technical problems and man, and you said to me, I thought we weren't going to do that anymore when (laughs) when you saw this story. And I said, yeah, I, I, not that I forgot, but I thought, well, one or two stories won't hurt. Uh-huh. Well, this episode has been a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. To record. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's getting better now. Yeah. Your
1: iPad died. Your voice is going weird. Yeah. My
0: voice has been wonky. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, oh man. Well, now you know why. Now I know why. Don't poke a stick at the Faye. I'm telling you. Well,
0: if you're listening, again, I have nothing but respect for you. Be, and really, because I think there's two more of these. So... Oh.
1: You were a glutton for punishment. I oh, know. I'm just going to start calling 9 1 and then <laughs> yeah. just kind of dangle your finger above the yeah. one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Going back to the story, um, it kind of reminds me of that one listener story we had. The mother whose son had something seemingly attacking him. Mm-hmm. And they brought in the shaman who who cleansed the house, but he said, there's going to be. Issues. Yeah, and they had that same furious banging from the basement for a couple of nights. Was a it? couple of nights. Yeah. yeah, and that I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. That scares the hell out of me. Yeah, that kind of physical battle. Yeah, there's just something about the the fury of that that really, really puts the fear in me, and especially in this case, you know, where he's built between these two places. Yeah. And coincidentally, there's someone I interviewed for my book, A Strange Little Place. Available Everywhere fine books are sold. No, it's not. No, it's really not. Not anymore. anymore. It is, however, available at ghosteryguys.bigcartel.com. Just stop. You can buy signed copies. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) So uh, I interviewed this fella and I, I don't think I included the story in the book, but there was something bothering their son. And they weren't really sure what was going on because they weren't really spiritually inclined people. Right. But their son was having some kind of, you know, sort of unspecified difficulty. And so they ended up talking to a friend of theirs who was more that way inclined. And he said, well, your house is on a path. And he sort of saw it as a fault. He thought it was like a fault line. Right. But he said, yeah, there's a path running right through your house. And so what you need to do, and he, I think he put brass... I want to say brass or copper rods right. on either side of the property. Right. Which so, supposedly kind of interrupts the circuit or right. however we want to say it. And regardless of whether it did or just psychosomatically it worked, um, it, it solved the problem. The, the, he stopped having that issue. Wow. But there was that sense of, yeah, you're, you, you're built between two things. Right. Right. And, and I have heard another story and sadly i can't really share it here but i know people who did something similar to this guy yeah and had the same results wow so it, it's very much a case of you know you can say this is you know this is nonsense this is bullshit you know believe this at your peril whatever like this is old time superstition right. and you're stupid for believing it but i think you you ignore it at your peril
1: yeah i agree you know
0: you end up as a Big old dumbass podcaster who
1: <laughs>
0: retills ground he was going to promise to never touch again and <laughs> ends up getting kicked in the ass. <laughs> uh, uh. The Gateway to Tirna Nog. In my life, I have lived all over the world, from West Africa to Australia to Thailand and beyond. But none of those places have ever offered up as unusual an experience as I'm about to relate to you. In the 1990s I travelled to Ireland to visit with my family who lived in West Cork. My sister owned a small stone cottage on a hilltop from which you could see forests and fields and all other manner of beauty. After a while there's only so much catching up you can do, so having filled my familial obligations I set out on a bicycle tour of the country, staying for the night in whichever lodgings I happened to find along the way. Eventually I got tired of the coast and decided to head inland, over the mountains to Dingle, this being the pre-digital age, all I had to go on was my paper map and the navigational smarts of anyone who I happened to ask for directions. For the first time, the map failed me and was unable to provide me a clear path through the mountains, so I set out looking for somewhere to ask directions. I recall reaching a crossroad with a church at it and bearing left to a small garage. Inside the garage, I bought a candy bar and soda from the little old lady behind the counter, who asked me where I was headed. I explained I was Dingle-bound by way of the mountains. And in a very kindly, soft voice, she suggested I would be happier on the coast road. Of course, I explained I had seen enough of the coast road and wanted to go head inland, but she repeated herself. A younger man, who I assume was her son, came out then, and the whole pageant repeated itself. It was baffling. They were all so insistent I not go through the mountains. But no one could elucidate a single reason why. Finally, in frustration, I took my purchases and hit the road. In retrospect, even though I came out okay, that was an unwise decision. A while later, I cycled up a massive hill and found a gorgeous vista from which I could take a picture. As I was a bit of a knob in those days, I decided my bike had to be in the picture as well, so I set the bike against a rock and stepped back for my Ansel Adams moment. The bike moved. Not slipped, but wheeled, as if someone were pushing it. Then it fell down. Now remember, I'm alone in the middle of this great forest and looking right at the bloody bike so no one could have moved it. I went over, picked it back up, and set it against the rock, only for it to roll away again. Absolutely baffling. There was nothing on the ground to indicate why it would slide or roll when it was leaning against this rock, and I was racking my brain trying to figure out what the hell the problem was, when I heard from behind me the giggling of children. As I had lived in Oz, my first thought was kookaburras, but of course that wasn't a possibility out here in the forests of Ireland. In fact, I decided I didn't care to pursue that line of thinking any further, and ran back to the road. Later, I was told that the area where I had been was considered to be the gateway to nOg, which is where the fairy people are said to live. I don't know that I believe in the wee folk the way my sister and family do, but I know what I heard on that hill, and something moved my bike. This week in Man bashes Head Against Brick Wall, I have uh, another fairy uh. story.
1: What is wrong with you? I mean, that's a long list. Like, where let's, you reveal where the fairy folk live. <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus. that's common knowledge. Oh, well, I'm sure
0: they appreciate the advertisement. Podcast advertising is not cheap. <laughs> so you know, I'm doing them a favor. Uh huh. Casper and them. Uh huh. You keep going. <laughs> I mean, I think this is another great example of just, just, just don't. Yeah. If someone tells you, hey, man. Don't, don't go there. Yeah. Don't think, no, you stupid son of a bitch. You don't know what you're talking about. That's right.
1: I'm going to go charging. Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. Just or, quietly and humbly listen.
0: Yeah. Or my soul is
1: forfeit or, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> the Rubber Man. My family has, or I should say had, a small ancestral home in County Armagh that had been home to several generations of our people. Years ago, it was left to my grandfather and his brothers following the death of another family member. It wasn't a large home, but there was a small farmyard out back, leading into a substantial field with a lone fairy tree standing in the middle of it. For those of you who don't know, fairy trees are set off by themselves, and some people believe they're an entryway into the world of the wee folk. Generally, the smart move is never to mess with them. It was out by that fairy tree where this happened, sometime after the funeral of the family member who had previously lived in the house. My grandfather and his brothers were out in the field, trying to figure out exactly how they were going to deal with this new property, when my grandfather saw someone out in the field. Who's the fella next to the tree, he said. At first his brothers couldn't see the man downrange of them, but then the figure was sprinting towards them, and they could see. The field was long, but this man, or creature, or whatever he was, bounded toward them incredibly fast, covering far more ground than a mortal man could. My grandfather and his brothers turned and ran out of the field, pausing only to look back after they had run out of breath. The figure was gone. They took to calling the thing the rubber man, because of the way it had almost bounced its way across the field. That wasn't the end of the strangeness. One of the brothers would periodically stay in the house, but only if he had company, because doors would slam and there would be a banging on the walls, sometimes so loud the neighbors heard. Finally, there came a time when the house was in need of repair. And my grandfather decided to do the work himself to save money. During the project, he knocked down a wall, and in the process of doing that, he discovered a door had been covered up. Grandfather thought this was odd, so he told one of his brothers about it, the same one who disliked staying in the house alone, and he made my grandfather promise to not open the door. Please, he said, just plaster over it and seal the bloody thing back up. My grandfather, did as he was asked. See, now that is a wise man. I was going to say, in this instance, someone told him, please, just seal it, and he did. Yep. No questions asked. No,
0: that's amazing. Not only will I plaster it over, I will brick it up, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I will I will plant a bomb in the house. And set the rest of the house on fire. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then I will salt the earth where it burned, so that nothing <laughs> may grow there. <laughs> that's kind of interesting, though. Oh, it's fascinating. And and I mean, that's a thing. I mean, of course, this is just a door, but the concept of fairy doors. Yeah. You know, this this is, this is not a new thing. And what's interesting is every now and again, you know, when I find myself near kind of a new agey publication, sometimes you'll see these people who, who talk about why you should have a fairy door because they're fun and they're this and they're that. And yeah, no, not, not necessarily, you know, it's, it's, you're
1: sort of playing with, um, it's a bit like a Ouija board. Yeah. You don't know exactly what you're opening yourself up to.
0: Yeah. You know, we think of them as these, you know, tiny, twee little things. But, yeah. you know, according to the legend, which are so similar to things like Legends of Jin. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with an entire other civilization.
1: Right. That you don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. And Just, can very easily piss off. Oh, very easily.
0: Yeah. As we covered on the episode, which we dare not speak its name. No, we don't. Despite putting these fucking stories in here. I don't know. What is wrong with you? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm partially, I'm going to blame Anthony. <laughs> you hear me, Jermaine?
1: Well, and Anthony wasn't around for episode nine.
0: Uh, that, no, it was episode
1: 27 was the case. Yeah, stories. so but, yeah. he does not know what we went through. The great horror. Yeah, Luke knew. Yes. Luke knew. Yeah, and told us we were fools for doing it in the first place. Yeah, of course. Oh, man. Memories. Much of what I'm about to tell you is going to be patchy. And that's because my memory of what happened is similarly threadbare. It's not that I don't remember things, but it's like my conscious memory has made a decision not to engage with a lot of my past. And so only certain things surface. One thing I can say with some certainty is that I seem to be the source of these things, either because I'm generating the phenomena myself, or because something has taken a long-term interest in me. Neither option is particularly appealing. I was already born when my parents were first married, scandalous, I know, and they had yet to find a house together, so I lived with my mom on her family estate a couple hours' drive north of Dublin. The house was not home not only to us, but to my granny and three uncles, all of whom had lived in peace and quiet until I arrived. According to them, the five of them would be in the living room watching TV when they'd hear my infant self laughing from the other room for no apparent reason. The laughter would often turn into furious crying, and then screaming, during which something would tear clothes from the closet in the room and hurl them on the floor. At that time, I was barely able to lift my own head, so I couldn't be blamed for the mess that always followed these episodes, and they happened on a semi-regular basis. On another occasion, one of the uncles came home early one day to find a dog sitting on the staircase. Blocking him from going upstairs. We did not own a dog, nor to the best of our knowledge did any of our neighbours, most of whom were reasonably distant. At the time, I was being babysat by another aunt, who neither saw nor heard any such animal. There were other things as well, but as I mentioned, they faded in and out like a distant radio signal. I know my granny was physically attacked by something from the wardrobe, though she never got a look at it, she just knew something struck her. Supposedly a whirlwind of dust appeared in the house from nowhere, and even the priest who had been summoned to bless the place had his candles blown out. The reason I think all of this had something to do with me was the fact that both before and after we lived there, the place was completely free of the strangeness. In fact, not long ago, I had occasion to talk to the current owner of the land, and he was baffled by my asking after any kind of weirdness on the land. As for me, things have continued to pace and taken a bit of a turn recently. I've had these recurring dreams about a house, unknown to me, where static electricity hums in the air. It's watching me, I know that much, but as long as it maintains its distance, I don't mind. Lately, however, the static has been advancing on me just a little more each time. My waking hours are often occupied by a single thought, the question of what happens when the static finally reaches me. I have no answers as yet. And time appears to be running out.
0: Not to be glib, but it sucks to be that guy. No kidding. You know, this is not funny and perhaps a little more insight into my psyche than anyone wants. But the ghost hurl or whatever it is, hurling the clothes out of the floor in a, uh, from the closet in a rage. Yeah. I was going to make a crack about, oh, it's, it sounds like me and my fat days when nothing would fit. You know? <laughs> oh, fuck all this stuff. Just toss it <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> yeah, no. We'll just take a... Quick moment to let the sadness from that dissipate. (laughs) So I realized Uh, what it was uh, I just uh. revealed there. Wow. (laughs) And we're back and let's never speak of that again. Agreed. This has been a weird record, man. This has been weird. Ghosts in the Graveyard. Should you be inclined to go looking for it, you would find Friars Bush Cemetery on Strandmillis Road in Belfast, not far from Queen's University. It's a small place, no larger than two acres, but it has a long, infamous history. The name itself comes from a friar who was murdered there sometime around the turn of the 18th century, and until 1869, the victims of cholera, plague, famine, and all other manners of unpleasantness were also interred therein, often anonymously. The burial mound known as Plaguey Pit is believed to be home to thousands of the dead. Their bodies burned to prevent the spread of infection. It is a grim, solemn place, and yet when we were children, we would play there. A game called Ghosts in the Graveyard, no less. The game was hide-and-seek, but with the hiding done behind enormous gravestones, with a kind of disregard for mortality only children can muster. Our favorite time to play it was at night, when we would sneak out of our houses and ride bikes to Friar's Bush. Once everyone had arrived, we would start the game. One of us would be it, and would hide while everyone else counted to 50, and then set out to find the ghost in the graveyard. On this particular night, I was out with my friends Gavin and Kay. We got to Friars just after midnight, and luckily for us, the heavy old steel gates were unlocked. The stone walls of the place are quite high, adding to the foreboding air. Once we were inside, I remember us standing on Plaguey Pit, staring up at a starless sky. Eventually the game began and it was decided Kay would be our ghost. We covered our eyes and counted as she ran to hide. Once it was time to start looking, Gavin and I split up, with him starting his hunt from the opposite end of the cemetery. Slowly I made my way between the markers, my footsteps muted by the tall grass, until I saw a shadow move behind a particularly large gravestone. I shouted, Aha! and rounded the stone to declare myself the winner, but Kay wasn't there. Then I saw her shadow again. A short distance away, darting from grave to grave in an attempt to keep hidden as she made her way towards the center of Friar's Bush and Plaguey Pit. Knowing there was no more cover between one side of the pit and the other, I decided that would be when I surprised Kay and won the game. From a distance I saw her shadow dash across the open lawn before hiding again behind a marker and staying there in a low crouch. I was at the edge of Plaguey Pit, about to take a run at Kay's shadow, when in the distance I heard Gavin shout, Ghost in the graveyard, followed by Kay's joyful screech of surprise. The shadow behind the gravestone ahead of me had not moved. For a moment I thought perhaps I'd been mistaken all this time, but then the pitch black outline I thought was my friend extended an arm. I ran, or tried to. My foot came down so hard on the edge of Plaguey Pit that the soft soil sucked it right under. I was stuck and had lost track of the shadow creature. All I could do was scream and scream I did, until Gavin and Kay found me and helped me pry loose my foot from Plaguey. I know it sounds mad and is probably the fancies of a child, but at the time it felt like if the shadow couldn't have me, the earth would. That was the last time we played Ghost in the Graveyard. As my grandmother would say, no shit. (laughs) That would have been
1: the first and last time for me. Holy man. (laughs) Hey guys, let's go to the graveyard and play tag. Mm, No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to play the Xbox. Yeah. Ha, you guys go ahead, bring me back and kick out. Yeah,
0: there are few things that frighten me as much as this doppelganger idea. Yeah. The idea that you see someone familiar and you're about to interact with them and realize it's not them. Yeah. And to do that at night in a goddamn graveyard. Whoa. Which is a locus for weird stuff because uh, the story after this is also from Friar's Bush. Right. And I think is worse. Wow. uh, Considerably
1: worse. All right, well, let's get to it. All right. The thing that cried. A long time ago, I lived near to Friars Bush Cemetery, and I'll tell you straight off, I never liked the place. I've never been the superstitious sort, but that place felt all the way bad, and every time I had the misfortune of venturing too close, it gave off an awful sort of chill. It was a particularly stormy day when I decided it was time to change neighborhoods. The rain had been lashing down all day, and I'd been hiding out inside the house with a stack of books and a pot of tea. Around 9 or 10 p.m., the rain finally slacked off, but the wind remained, And it was among all that howling i was certain i heard a baby crying putting my book down i listened more closely but the sound tapered off and i decided it must have been either a figment of my imagination or the wind whichever it happened to be it was of no consequence so i went back to my reading finally i headed for bed around 11 pm and that's when it happened again this time the baby's wail was closer and louder enough to cause my ears physical discomfort Now, I'm no fan of children, but the idea of a child being lost out in the fury of that storm was too much. So I got dressed, grabbed my umbrella, and went outside to see whether I was overreacting and some fool had taken their child for a walk in the storm of the century. Outside was a maelstrom. The wind howled and moaned, whipping the rain sideways, until it was a steady stream of icy needles hammering into my face and jacket. I followed the sound of the wailing for a few minutes, my vision obscured, until I realized I'd arrived at the edges of Friar's Bush. To say I was unenthused by this is putting it mildly. I felt unsteady on my feet, and I wanted to go home. But there was a voice inside me that remembered old folklore about unwed mothers discarding their unwanted children over the Friar's high stone walls, and I was afraid someone had decided to put a modern spin on it. Into the cemetery I went. The cries led me to a tree called the Friar's Thorn, which was said to be where the eponymous friar was hung a very long time ago. Visibility was terrible by this point, and like a prize ass all I had brought for illumination was my phone, which I was afraid to use for too long in case it was ruined by the wet. So I trudged on in the dark, and this was my downfall. The cries of the baby were everywhere, pounding in my head. I looked down to see where I was stepping, and saw what I can only describe as a black, jelly-like blob near my feet. It had no definable shape, but if I had to try and describe it, I'd say it was an almost circle atop something vaguely oval-shaped. The thing reached out for me. I shrieked, starting back. My escape was cut short when I tripped over a root, and as I lay there, on the ground, the thing came for me, and a hole opened what you might call its center. The hole was light gray, with streaks of red running through it, and from it emerged the baby's wail, even more powerful than before. Mad with fear, I scrambled to my feet and ran back through the rain to my house, where I turned on every single light and locked everything that could be locked. It was my last night in the house, and soon I moved from the neighborhood completely. So that's awful. Oh, literally the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, seriously. The fact that it was a thing... And it was wailing. Oh, my God. It, almost like it was luring him.
0: Yeah. With oh, 100%. And, and I I will say, though, I, I got a bit of a chuckle out of the idea of locking all the doors because I'm just imagining this weird, formless, shapeless thing, like gently knocking at the door and pretending to be like a delivery guy or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh <laughs> yeah, this is uh Publisher's Clearinghouse. You may already be a winner. Oh, lock lock on lock on lock on lock. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, yeah. you fucker. <laughs> Just
1: <laughs> Yikes.
0: Yeah, I I do not know, but that is truly truly terrible. Yes. And and I feel like that that's I really wanted to glorify Island on this Ireland on this episode before everything kind of went south <laughs> and it became a, <laughs> a mad struggle for survival. <laughs> But I I feel like the most we're going to come out of this is a new tourist slogan, which is Ireland. It's it's pretty goddamn terrible. (laughs) It's pretty awfully haunted. We got uh, (laughs) lots of green shit and nightmares for
1: days.
0: (laughs) Our final story tonight is called The Burning of Boom Hall. Growing up in Derry, most kids are told to stay away from Boom Hall, and to a certain kind of child, that sort of proclamation is like a red flag to a bull. I was one such child and I dare say not much has changed over the years. My trips to Boom Hall were always for such scandalous fare as trespassing and smoking cigarettes, so it's not as though I was some criminal mastermind. Just a curious lad convinced I could be cool if only I dangled the ciggy from my lips just so. Before I go any further, I should explain exactly what Boom Hall is and why going there was considered to be such an act of teenage rebellion. Boom Hall was a great classical manor built in 1779 on the Foyle's West Bank and named for the wooden booms that Jacobian forces erected across the river during the Siege of Derry in 1689. Over the years it passed through various hands until, in 1969 I believe it was, the place went up in flames and was never restored to its former glory. When I was a child it sat there. A weather-beaten stone edifice whose upper floor was long gone, and from whose darkened depths you could imagine any manner of monster or fairy looking back at you, just beyond the light. In my trips to Boom, always in the day, I found it to be a peaceful but guarded place. Always there would be something in the air, something physical but indefinable, hovering there and it would always make me sneeze. The air around the place had a peculiar smell too, like an old room you'd just open for the first time in years except it was like that every time I went, as if the whole ruined shell somehow stood outside of time. My last visit to Boom Hall came in my teens, when I'd wandered down there to have one of my furtive cigarettes. It was a warm summer's day, and I lay in the grass thinking about whatever it was I used to think of then, and slowly polluting my lungs. When I first smelled the burning, I assumed it was my smoke, so I put it out, but the smell only became more powerful. It was the sound of a woman screaming that really got my attention. I leapt up and ran in the direction from whence it had came, towards Boom Hall. Seeing nothing up front, I ran around back, where I still saw nothing, but somehow, and I remember this as though it happened yesterday, I heard flames and felt their heat. Back to the front of the building I ran, where the screaming was now louder than ever, and I looked up, finally finding the source. In the far left corner of the upstairs, where not only was the building falling down, but there was no longer even a floor, I saw a woman, her long blonde hair braided behind her. We locked eyes, and I felt as though she gazed into my very soul. I blinked first, and afterwards she was gone. The heat and sound of flames vanished too, leaving only myself and the broken hulk of Boom Hall.
1: Well, at least we ended on a classic ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> and one that, those are so interesting to me when you kind of relive something that happened like that. Like we, yeah. we do one on the ghost walk about um, the Valencia, SS Valencia. Oh, of course. right. Yeah. And how fishermen can sometimes catch the sinking of the ship and it plays out and they hear the screams and the whole deal. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I knew the Valencia had wrecked off the coast. I, I didn't understand all the uh, associated... It's now called Valencia Point. It was one of the worst maritime disasters uh, in that time period. And and the worst in the graveyard of the Pacific, which is where it happened.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. All right, folks, well, that is it for our Haunting of Ireland episode. Thank you for enduring my, again, strange voice issue, the technical problems we had. It has been, it, you're not going to hear it, most of it, in the show, but my God, what a
1: night it has been. <laughs> well, and, and, and have a happy St. Patrick's Day.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, from the sound of it, there won't aren't going to be a lot of parties or parades. But
1: well, no, but you can always get one of those uh, chocolate, or no, mint shakes, whatever, shamrock shake. There we go. From McDonald's. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Alright, we'll be right back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back, thanks as always to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode, we really truly couldn't do it without you. Congratulations to Sarah who just got a new job. Yay! Yes, we won't say where, but uh, not that it's
1: bad. What's bad? Well,
0: oh, the job? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great job.
1: I just, I don't. I know. You're protecting her privacy. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the way you said that, it was kind of like, whoa, what's her up to? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Nothing she does for work could possibly be
0: as bad for her reputation as working on this show. That is so, true. So, although apparently she put it on her resume. So,
1: bless her heart. I, hey,
0: it, they haven't fired her. So. No, no, that's
1: amazing. Yeah. I guess they haven't completed the background
0: check yet. That's right. <laughs> They've made how many tit jokes on this show? <laughs> oh, no, this will not do so sir that dog won't hunt <laughs> all right so first up of course our patron shoutouts. of course we'd like to thank all our patrons but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons and there are quite a few of them there are so big thanks to stella peanut butter and jeff diana claire iona john varner cassie edward cortinas jennifer petty danny veneclassen trent kirsten wa mitchell kathy maggie reed jennifer sharko thank you so much for all your support guys we can't tell you how much we appreciate we are it so so great oh man again patrons pay for our our recording food and quite frankly right now you're helping pay for Brent's regular food because work <laughs> is slow slow yes yeah, so thank you so much for your support and thank you to everyone who listens i mean we certainly we appreciate the patrons who, who actually pay and, and make the show possible but we also appreciate you listening it's just really cool and, uh, thank you so, so much. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, ten, twenty, 20 and $50 levels, and you get access to all kinds of cool shit. There's our monthly cabin fever episode where Ian and I shoot the breeze and talk about all the stuff that doesn't fit into the regular episode anymore. We just recorded the newest one, uh, before we started this show. And I think it's almost an hour long. Yeah. So if you look at the back catalog, there are hours of bonus content that you just you get access to at the touch of a button once you subscribe. There's also an exclusive patron only sticker designed by Vancouver Island artist Wanda Fraser. You get access to our monthly live show, which is just an opportunity for us to hang out with you guys, catch up on what's going on in your life. You catch up what's going on in ours. And there's stuff we can talk about on those patron uh, only live shows that we just can't talk about any other time. So that's another incentive. You also get signed art cards of my night photography. And of course, Ian's smash hit <laughs> Kristen country album Aware of Wonder Oh lord For which he has received Was it like Six dollars in revenue? Six dollars
1: Six dollars Thank you to those Loyal listeners
0: <laughs> That's right <laughs> Those one eighteenth Of a penny Spotify streams That's right Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Keep it going Put it on repeat <laughs>
0: That's right I should do that Hire a click farm <laughs> To just play your album In China summer Speaking of which but Someone One of our listeners I'm sorry I don't have your name handy She heard your song I know the Lord playing over the PA in a shopping mall in Northern
1: England. That's bizarre.
0: I nearly came. That is I was bizarre. so happy. That's what right,
1: bizarre stream <laughs> on Tidal or one of those is oh, is, is playing that.
0: I'm just going to finish this up. If you want to join the team patreon.com/ghostery guys. Now, I got to say we have to just touch on this briefly because your album was something you recorded
1: in 1995. Yes. I was 23.
0: Yes. You toured behind it. Yeah. did pretty well actually. Yeah. Though. I sold all copies of the album. Yeah. And when we met, we hung out at your house once yeah. and you played me a bit of it. I did. And I said, this is actually pretty good. I mean, it's Christian country, but it's, it's good.
1: It's And, well- and I want a copy and I'm like, no,
0: no, never. <laughs> and then one day we were coming back from breakfast yep. and Ian handed me A shrink-wrapped cassette copy of his album. He said, hey, I found this while I was cleaning out the garage. And there is nothing you can do with it. Yeah, you can't do any damage with this. He was halfway across the street back to his house before I found a place in Victoria that transfers cassettes to MP3s. (laughs) And within 10 days, that album was uploaded to every single streaming service currently available at that time.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And on his birthday, three years ago, March 10th, 2017, you came into the studio. Yeah. And I said, hey, I want you to hear this. I fired up iTunes and I know the Lord <laughs> came over the speakers and Ian's face dropped. It was magnificent.
1: I've never been happier. I, if, if I've if i never been so pissed off and so touched by something <laughs> simultaneously. Were you really mad? I No, I was horrified. I was embarrassed. I was horrified. It was like someone finding nude shots you did when you needed the money back when you were twenty, and then all of a sudden they're in a magazine. Well, those those will be published for your birthday next year. (laughs) Next year. I needed the money.
0: And and Ian always jokes that you know that Brent did this to embarrass me. I really didn't. I I, I know. I genuinely. Oh, I know you know, but I genuinely think it's a it's a good album. I, I genuinely do. If I thought it was shit,
1: I would have just quietly forgot about it. That's very kind. I do have. I mean, the the whole point of this is that the crappy cassette quality tracks are what plays on all the streaming services we do have the digital files and that is actually what we send you when you become a $20 yes absolutely so you can play it in all that's gorgeous digital
0: sound it's amazing and and (laughs) to find out literally almost three years to the day after it was released into the wild yes that it is now part of a playlist in a mall in another country was the pinnacle of my life Yeah, you know what we'll see how much money i get from that lit- nothing literally tens of pennies <laughs> if that i was so happy i could have died oh, a completed
1: human it's so funny thank
0: you so much again i'm sorry i don't have your name handy but thank you so much for sending that it's in hilarious that was wonderful all right so next up we have our listener mail
1: Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you.
0: As always, we'd like to thank everyone who reaches out to us. I can't tell you how cool it is to hear your thoughts, hear your stories, uh, which we could then share on listener stories episodes and your gentle criticisms, of course. And thanks to everyone who reaches out. If you want to send us a note, Ghost Guys at gmail.com is the place. There are other places you can reach us. We'll tell you about those in a little bit. But first, we'd like to thank, by name, all the people who wrote in over the last two weeks. They are. And and prepare yourselves. This is a long one. <laughs> Rin. Kim. Jay. Katrina. Melissa. Christina. Kelly. Sean. Alex. Mina. Jeffrey. Lisa. Bob. Anna. Amy. Victoria. Susie. Brianne. Megan. Jay. Peter. Mayshree. Adam. Raimundo. Catherine, Tiffany, Scott, Denise, Samantha, Elizabeth, Denise, Wendy, Sierra, Chris, Amber, Simon, Joshua, Bob, Rachel, Amy, Sam, Denise, Kim, Aaron, Julie, Rebecca, Ashlyn, Charlotte, Sam, Ruth, Kiki, for real, which I love (laughs) from the Mission Spooky Podcast,
1: Catherine, Virginia, Amber, (laughs) Jessica, Jennifer, Marcus, Lily, Emma, Amber, and Jen, (sighs) I know, and if you think you're like, wait, they mentioned that name before. Yeah. That's because several people of the same name <laughs> wrote in and I felt bad about just leaving them off. So they're like, Oh, I'm the only one. No, you're not. Nope. There Amber. are many. Several. <laughs> and Yes. A lot of people named Amber. It's a it's a good name. It's a good name. Again, thank you so much for reaching
0: out, folks, with your compliments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. Very gentle or Brennan McCry. So true. I'm very fragile. <laughs> but uh we, we really do love hearing from you. We it just Reminds us why we do this and encourages us to keep going. If you have a story you want to share, send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys and Instagram at instagram.com slash the ghoststoryguys and on Twitter at just ghoststoryguys. Sarah is the administrator of the Twitter account. Make sure to go over and say hi. And we will say though, please don't send stories via social media. No. Just to the email. No. Yeah. Or you can also reach us on the ghost line and we are so, so thrilled. Yes. To present the theme song, the brand new theme the song. The world
1: premiere. Yes. Of? The theme
0: song for the ghostline line sent into us by 17 year old Amber Pease. Who obviously hopes to one day have a Christian country album like me. Dream big, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> dream big dream bigger sweetie yeah yeah please <laughs> also huge thanks to her mom leslie who connected her to us so here it is the theme song for the ghost line
1: There's something strange.
0: Thank you so much, Amber. That is so cool. That was such an awesome surprise. Thank you for sending that in. Again, that number is one 588 6920 You can also text us at 925-553-4789. The 1-800 number should be free for everyone in North America. However, that text number is an American number. So just be aware if you're texting us from out of country, you might have a uh, what is it, a charge. For that, But again, that's 925-553-4789. Just so you know, when you do text that number, you'll get an automated response. It can take a little while to generate, but you will get that. Unfortunately, if you have questions, you're better off sending those as emails yeah. because uh, we're not able to respond to the text line. So I know we have had some people text us, which is amazing. More and more people are using it. I friggin love it. Every time I see one come in, I'm thrilled. And uh, we've also had a couple of voicemails. I haven't had a chance to check them yet, but we've had them. <laughs> And uh, again, I can't wait to hear him. So one 588 6920 is the number to call to reach the Ghost Story Guys, Ghost Line. We can't wait to hear from you. We also had a little bit of fun news, uh, which was just just before we started recording. The latest edition of David Weatherly's Wood Knock series, which is sort of, a, I guess, an anthology of essays about Bigfoot and Bigfoot-related phenomenon, uh, has just been released and there are a couple of friends of the show who are contributors to that including Shannon Lagrove into the Fray Radio and the very talented artist Mr Sam Sheeran and just before we started recording Sam reached out to mention that he had directly quoted Ian in his essay in Woodnocks volume 4 <laughs> and Ian is uh, well you're you're now an authority wow that's all it takes. I mean, it's not great wisdom that was quoted, but still,
1: <laughs> it was
0: quoted. I'm honored. Thank you so much. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> so again, if you want to check that out, I'm a big fan of everything David does. I think David's a great researcher. And of course, I'm a huge fan of both Sam and Shannon. That's Woodknocks Volume 4, and you can find that everywhere you buy your books. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps get the word out. Brings people to the show. I know we we seem to have four or five people every week, and we're so grateful. It just means the world to us that you guys are doing that. And you always have such nice things to say. You do. So thank you again. Uh, at some point, maybe we'll read one or two of the things on the show. Just, Ugh. No. I know they're, they're so complimentary. Like
1: Self masturbation.
0: As opposed. No. No. Never mind. I don't want to know. Just, <laughs> this is. <laughs> nope, just. If you have
1: a couch with strong out of arms. Oh Jesus. you live in a nightmare world (laughs) i do and i am trapped here too (laughs) oh i do want to say thank you to everyone who sent me birthday wishes that was very kind yes and brennan your constant harassment through instagram was also appreciated (laughs) for my birthday that filled the day with sun and joy yeah well yes thank you mostly thank you to all the listeners who took the time to just say hey and happy birthday absolutely
0: no you guys are the coolest Speaking of birthdays, before I start shilling our merchandise, I want to send out a belated happy birthday to our listener Lucy. Her mom Samantha bought some books from us uh, for her for her birthday, and she also got a Ghostery Guy shirt. And she, her mom sent in some pictures. Lucy, happy birthday! We, definitely. We- are thrilled to have you listening to the show scares the shit out of me I don't mind telling you because some of the stuff I say man it worries me it's horrible it, yeah I try not it keeps me up at night sometimes <laughs> but uh, I like to think I'm preparing you for the world at large Lucy that's oh yeah that's your that, role yeah yeah yeah. preparing I'm like, children for how horrible the world is <laughs> I'm like Mr. Miyagi but for F-bombs <laughs> anyways happy birthday Lucy from both of us if you want to pick up some Story Guys merch head on over to ghostoryguys.redbubble.com We have all kinds of designs from a lot of talented artists, including Canadian artists Becky Campbell and Wanda Frazier and American artist Bob Vasquez. We also have actually a really fantastic new design featuring Ian's cat, Randy. Randy the devil cat. Randy the devil cat. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, just finished by Bob. It's only available in sticker, but it is there. So that's all at ghosteryguys.redbubble.com. If you do buy a piece of merchandise, like a shirt or a mug or a poster or something, make sure to send us a copy of your receipt to ghosteryguys at gmail.com uh, or text it to the ghost line, I guess. And we will send you a ghosteryguys logo sticker as a thank you. Again, just for the record, that's only for the larger pieces of merch, t-shirts, mugs, and and so on. Again, just send us a copy of receipt and we'll send that over. If you want to pick up signed copies of our books, head on over to ghostoryguys.bigcartel.com and then, again, we can sign it, personalize it, send it out to you. We also have pins and postcards with My Night Photography. Again, that's ghostoryguys.bigcartel.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizanta Music. You can find more from him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more from them by searching for Hexagram on all your major streaming platforms. That's Hexagram with two Xs, not three. And if you sign up as a patron at the $10 level, you get both those songs as ringtones in MP3 format. And those songs are not available to stream anywhere else. That Hexagram track specifically is exclusive. You get that by becoming a patron. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod safe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. I guess that's gonna do it. I think it is. We'll be back in two weeks with another show and a better show. <laughs> <laughs> One with no face stories. Yes. Please. But I promise. Okay. And until then, into the darkness we go. let have
1: a nice, clean episode. That's right. No fighting. Play your fair. Corners. Play fair. Yeah, I'm ready.
0: Enough hate crime and it's time to party. <laughs> I waited in that cemetery six years to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe do that again because you, you started through it in an Irish accent. Oh, shit. Did I? Yeah. This story mm. is called Condoms are Lane. <laughs> well, the dumb thing is I started, and, and I may have talked about this before, I love colored lights. Right. So I bought uh, an LED strip right. to go around the, the balcony doors. Sure. And you can program it to be whatever color you like pretty much. Well, I have it on red. Red's nice and cozy, comfy. Well, the downside to this is that- it Looks like prostitutes work in your apartment? Well, that or I'm in the, the ninth circle of hell. <laughs> and so I'll be lying on the couch at you know, midnight in this red glow with all the other lights off watching a horror movie. Why would you do that? Like, come on. Well, I because I, I'm not going to change the color of the lights just for the movie. Ugh. But it's it's generally fine until you fall asleep. Yep. And wake up with scary music playing, surrounded
1: bathed in a blood red glow.
0: Bathed in a blood red glow, yeah. surrounded by shadows. Yeah. With I, I should say the the um, corner from which the shadow person I saw back in 2013 yeah. walked out of directly in front of you. Yeah. In terms of uh, restful sleeps. This is not a way to achieve them. Ugh, I worry
1: about you. That's fair. Let's just move on to the next story. (laughs) You're depressing me too much. (laughs) You say that all the time.
0: (laughs) See, I am your real dad. I hate you. (laughs) I will cut that out. Thank you. (laughs) That's horseshit, and I refuse to abide by it. I will arm wrestle you after the show. How gross. Never again. No. If I ever suggest anything to do with Ireland, I want you to spin kick me in the solar plexus. Okay. I don't care how you do it. Done.